Turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. Now, some of this I'm going to go fast. So there's not going to be a lot of theatrics. Um, But I want to read for you, first of all, our passage. We're just going to read the first ten verses of probably one of the most important passages. Well, all of the passages of Scripture are important, are they not? But this one is poignant in so many ways, especially what we're going to talk about today in terms of who we are. Not just as a person, but as a congregation, as a people. Who we are. And as we begin to look at this story and unfold this story, it'll be encouraging to some, hopefully convicting to others. Because of what Ezra is confronting in Jerusalem and Judah, many times we need to stop and confront in our own personal lives and in the life of the church. So follow along with me as we read. Ezra chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merah-eoth, the son of Sariahiah, the son of Usa, the son of Bukah, the son of Abishu, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. I wanted to just stop one second because as I was looking at this this morning and as I was thinking about it over there sitting down, uh, there's something unique about this lineage. And it's that name Phineas that we just read. Do you remember who he is? Do you know who he is? This is the same Phineas. That when the Israelites were compromised by the Ammonites and were beginning to take the Ammonite women into their camp and committing such atrocities, that Phineas noticed one man taking a woman going into a tent. And with all zeal, Phineas grabs a spear. For the sake of the holiness of God and the purity of the people, he takes that spear and he comes into that tent and he impales this man and woman in the act of fornication. God credited that man for what he did. That man is the ancestor of Ezra. Unique, as we'll learn today, Ezra doesn't come in to the tent with a spear. He comes in with something far greater, something more dynamic, something that has a greater benefit. He comes in with the sword of God, his word. So, let's read on. I just thought that was interesting. It says, this Ezra... Went up from Babylonia. He was a skill, scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there he, there went also, up also to Jerusalem, 
in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rule in Israel. Context. Context is so important here so that you get this. We're in that post-exilic time. Uh, we have seen the return to Judah and Jerusalem, those who have been exiled throughout first the Babylonian Empire and now the Persian Empire. A unique thing happened when Cyrus became king. In 537, Cyrus decreed that all that the Jews could go back, resettle the land, and rebuild the temple, and I established their identity as the people of God, the people of Yahweh. Now, he did this for other religions, but this was more unique when it came to this, because the passage there in the first chapter of Ezra says that God, in a night while he was asleep, moved his heart to do this. And so many of you know from the study that we've done this winter and also from just your own personal reading that uh, with the coming of these first wave of Jews, they came and they began to build the temple. They laid the foundation of the temple. They had built the altar on which the sacrifices and almost immediately opposition came. Here's what happened. Some from that officials and others were frightened what the Jews would be. That they would come, that they would take the land, and that they would establish themselves as a new nation within the Persian Empire. was never what they were going to do. But they came along and they said, hey, let us help you build your temple. For we worship your God just like we worship our own. Now, on the surface, you would say, well, that's a good thing. That was a bad thing. Instead of being a light in a darkened community, they would just be darkened as they participated in both an attempt to worship Yahweh and an attempt to worship the idols of the land. I mean, have we not seen that before? Solomon? Rehoboam? Jeroboam? The split kingdom all the way down and the purpose of the split kingdom and the purpose of the whole exile. Why they were sent to Babylon in the first place was because of what? They did not give God the glory due him, but instead worshiped the idols of the foreign land. So these men said, no, we will keep building. But the opposition build and build and build. So finally they stopped. And there was no activity on the wall until one day Haggai and Zechariah confronted the governor of the Jews and the high priest. Joshua, the high priest, 
Zerubbabel, the governor. I said, who told you to stop? Build the temple. Build the temple. And by this time, there was a new king in the land. His name was Darius. And Darius the first, told by the Gentile governor of the land, who came to him and said, they're building a temple. We don't know. Is this lawful? So Darius said, bring me the decrees of the land. And they began to research and research and research. And two years later, they came upon the decree of Cyrus. And Darius said, build the temple. More than build the temple, we'll pay for it. More than we'll pay for it, we'll send you the, the, the animals you need to worship God. We'll give you anything and everything you need. Build the temple. And in 516 BC, the temple was completed. But still, there was a struggle among the Jews and their walk with God. They were not a liked people. Opposition was throughout their time that they resided in that land. And even within the empire, we come to 580 B.C. And what took place there? Esther becomes queen. This is a great book, the book of Esther. God is not mentioned anywhere, but God is everywhere in this book. God postures and positions the characters of this book to bring about his purpose the preservation of the jewish people and we finish reading the book of esther and we see because of esther's plead to artaxerxes or to xerxes the people are saved and now we come to 458 bc ezra comes into town A man who is skilled in the word of God, but more than simply skilled in it. A man who is devoted to it, who loves it. It is his life. It is his breath. He is led. He is guided by what this word says. And he's intent on one thing, to do it with all of his heart. But even more than just simply do it, he is there to teach it to the people so that the people will be the people of God. But built into this context of Ezra, there's a greater purpose that Ezra is about to do. He is wanting to restore the Jews' identity. The Jew, the Jews were a special people, especially in this generation that we'll see in just a moment. A people that were to be separate from the world for a particular purpose. Not a separate people in isolation, but a separate people in purpose. What was that? If you've got your Bibles, turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. This is where God calls Abram. And this is the cornerstone of the Israelites who would eventually then divide and it would be given to the Jews. And so here's what God says is the purpose of Abram, Abraham's line, his lineage. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Separate yourself. And this is what I will do. I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And 
In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was the purpose of the line of Abraham? A separate line from the rest of the world that was going to hell in a handcart. What was the purpose? To be a blessing. To be a blessing. In what way? As Abraham, a son of God, by faith, declared righteous. And his offspring, that would eventually become the nation of Israel. Their purpose was to be the blessing to a lost world. In this nation, the nations of the world were supposed to look, to consider, and to follow. In this nation, first and foremost, would come redemption. Because through the line of Israel would come our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would pay the penalty for sin. But as Israel... We're supposed to live according to these laws that demonstrated their love for God and that equally demonstrated their love for one another. That was to be a sign to the people of the true and living God. As they lived separately with the ordinances and the application of the law, they were to show the world what is it supposed to be to be a husband and a wife. What was it supposed to be to be a father and a mother? What was it supposed to be to be a community that is bent on knowing and serving God to a lost world? How they were to be redeemed by faith in a coming promise so that the world may be redeemed and not suffer the impending wrath of God, such as Nineveh. That's what they were supposed to be. They were to be a blessing by showing God's design. In Genesis 1 it says that all of these things that God created. And he finally came to his greatest creation, humans. And he says, and he created them. He created them and breathed in them the breath of God, the image of God. And they were man And woman, male and female, God's design, not man's choice, God's design. And anything outside of God's design will always lead to pain, to suffering. Because it's outside of his design. But not only is there design, there's God's order. God established this world with basically three main institutions. The first institution was family. Family begins with husband and wife. He created Eve out of Adam... So that, you ready? They could be a complement of each other. So that they could live life together. So that they together, not only will they honor and love God with all of their heart and serve him. A wife 
supporting her husband, a husband sacrificing his life for his wife. But they would then have children that they would teach and that they would raise up to know God, to love God, to keep the ordinances so that they may be a people of God from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to fill the earth. A moral order. Within also this moral order, he established the one true religion. The coming together as a people of God to worship God, to honor God, not just weekly, but throughout our existence. A community of faith that comes together to encourage, to support. And then there is also a divine mission. We see that in Genesis 12 to bless the world. To share to a lost world. Since Genesis 3, this world has been lost. People are running from God, not to God. They see the truth of God. But as Romans says, they suppress it by their evil deeds. And we are the ones that God has chosen his people. To bring them into a relationship with him. But we see what happened first when the kingdom split between Israel and Judah. The responsibility fell to the Jews. And then with the rejection of Jesus, the responsibility fell to whom? The church. Matthew five thirteen to 16 says, we are the salt of the earth. Right? We are the light of the world. No one takes the light and puts it under a bushel, but we set it on a stand so that all may see our good deeds and praise God who is in heaven. That's that blessing part, isn't it? That's that part where we're reaching out to a lost world and we are begging, we are showing, we are serving so that they may come to know the Savior. We are in the world. We're not of it. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, God, the Lord Jesus commissions us to go into the world and to make disciples. Ephesians 1, 7 to 10 says, the mystery of God's will. What is that mystery? To bring all things back in order. And it comes back in order. Through the reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. His work for our salvation. And his guidance for our lives. However. Ezra comes to Jerusalem. Because the Jews had lost their way. This is interesting. If you turn back to Ezra chapter 7. There in verse 27, it, it kind of gives kind of one of the purposes of Ezra coming back that I love. I love this. It says in verse 27, blessed be the Lord, the God of our father, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. To beautify something implies something. That the temple was no longer beautiful. That the temple from its building and completion in 516 to now has lost its luster. 
is not the place that would attract people to see the true and living God. But it was a place that was run down. And so one of Ezra's responsibility is to come. And he comes with all these people, with all of this money, with all of these materials to rebuild this temple that is at the center of Jerusalem on the hill for their glory, for his glory, to show a darkened world the existence of the living God. But it's been run down, which reveals what's going on here with the people. Because if the temple isn't beautified, isn't beautiful, then I think we can equally imply the people are no longer spiritually beautiful. The condition of Jerusalem and the Jews as told by Malachi. The Lord says at the beginning of Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you, but have you loved me? Look at your sacrifices. Not the best of the animals, but the defiled animals, the crippled animals. Look at the priests and their teaching, not teaching according to the word. Not being steady and truthful, but teaching to itching ears with words that were corrupt. Look at their marriages. Not just their marriages among themselves, but the married, uh, more importantly, the marriages with those outside the community. That were defiled. Now I know some of you will get upset when you read the book of Ezra. And you see Ezra making a very hard choice for the people of Israel. But it was a necessary choice. Where he tells the priest and the leaders and those in the land. Divorce your wives and send them away. But I want to suggest something to you. As you read the book of Malachi. This is not as big of a decision as you think it is. They were practicing divorce like as quick as they were married. Divorce was so common among the people. Their offerings were insufficient. And the people had the nerve to ask, God, why have you not blessed us? The Jews were a compromised people. Two things lead to compromise for them, and I think lead to compromise for us. Opposition or complacency. Early on in the book of Ezra, we see opposition, grand opposition. That turned their hearts out of fear from building the temple to not building the temple. And then it led into a time of compromise. That instead of putting their efforts and their money that was given to them by Cyrus into the temple, they instead put it into their own homes. And they build their own beautiful homes at the expense of the temple. Now, I'm not suggesting about building something big and beautiful. What I'm suggesting to you is that big and beautiful building was a representation of their heart towards their God. That they had compromised to such a point that their homes and everything related to their homes... But there was no honor of God in their lives. 
There was the pushing down of God in their lives. There was the suppression. And we see this most manifested as they go from eventually a revival that led to the building of the temple. Then that led to Esther and the saving of the people to where we are today. To where even the moral order. Even the grand institution upon which God built his people is compromised. I want you to understand what's going on here. Because sometimes we read the book of Ezra and we miss this. These women that they married, these men that they gave their daughters to, did not convert. They were not redeemed. They did not turn their hearts to God like Rahab did. They did not say to the priest... Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Like Ruth said to Naomi. No. They compromised God's people. That's why. Israel would tell them. Divorce your wives. So Ezra comes to restore the people through God's word. It was the word that guided Ezra. Did you notice that? It was the word. Let me turn back a page. Here we go. And it says, for Ezra had set his heart to study. Hmm. But to study what? Not teachings regarding the word. Not philosophies to explain the word. He set his heart to study the word. But not just simply to study it, but to do it. To live it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it. This is what has, I think, compromised us as a people. We have leaders who will teach the word faithfully. But in their own personal lives will not live it. Will not live it. And he was bent on not only studying it. Doing it. But teaching it. The word. The word alone. That's my question. Is the Bible. Your authority. And the guide for your life. Is the Bible the authority? Or is it everything that people has written about the Bible? Be it reformed, be it liberal. Be it Calvinist, be it Arminian. Are we so wrapped up in the world of what others believe about the word that we haven't stopped to just read the word? Very simply, taught this to the youth last week. Open the Bible. Ask yourself the first question as you read it. What does this passage tell me about God? And then what does this passage tell me about me? If you just do those two things, you're going to see your life revolutionized. Is the Bible your authority? Not tradition. Not the Pope. Not human reasoning, not the development of culture and society, 
your lone authority in life, your own only trusted authority in life is this book. Because it is this book that is the mouth of God. It is this book that is his breath. You want to know God? Know the book. It's sad. I think sometimes at Christians that we've lost our identity. Just the other day I was at the club trying to work out in the pool. And I noticed a guy that I had met three years earlier before COVID. And we had an interesting conversation then. Uh, he and I were talking. He's from Kentucky. I'm from West Virginia. So that was kind of the start. We started talking. He was telling me some books he was reading. I said, those are interesting. Maybe I can read that and we can talk about it. He says, sure. And then I mentioned to him what I did for a living. And he says, I don't know if I want to do that now. I said, okay. I said, I'll tell you what. Let's just do this. This first book. Let's just read this first. And let's, he's like, reluctantly, okay. And then I went home. And he, but he said this. He says, don't you dare talk about God and Christianity in any of this. Ooh, that's a hard one for me. As you know, I like to talk a lot. And so I went home, sent him an email, said, I can't do that. I said, if you, what you say, I've got to say, we've got to have an even fair exchange here. He says, no, then we won't do it. Just you stay on your side of the gym, I'll stay on my side. That's what he, what he wrote. So, okay. So three years later, I've been noticing in the gym, he's walking with a, a, a crutch now, a cane. And so he was in the pool, and he was swimming in the pool, and I noticed. And I just walked over, and I said, hey, how are you doing? I just want to make sure I'm concerned. I just want to make sure you're doing okay. And he looked at me, and he says, you... He pointed his finger at me. He said, you, you, I know you. I said, yeah, you're Kentucky, I'm West Virginia. He says, yeah. And he began to yell at me. He said, stay away from me. I hate Christians. You don't know. I was abused by two people who said they were Christians. They're dead now, but I don't like Christians, I hate you. Pointing at me. I'm like, you don't know me. I'm a good guy. I hate you. Stay away from me. And then continued his workout. It is sad that those two people, those two people, instead of being a blessing, Turned this man's heart to cursing God. Just like Abraham and Ahimelech. Remember that one? Sarah's my sister, but not really. But she is my wife, my sister. And next thing you know, Ahimelech, God says, look, you touch that woman, you die. And Ahimelech said, go away. I don't want to see you. I hate you. But take everything, but go away. And instead of being the blessing that would lead Ahimelech to God, he became a curse to Ahimelech that drove him from God. I was reading some through a report through the Southern Baptist Convention about abuse and the treatment of women within the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's heartbreaking. And instead of being a blessing, people have used the name of Christ to hurt abuse and turn away one of the things that is most difficult as we study the word God touches us I hope to speak truth 
to say in a world that is drifting further and further and further into degradation and the wrath of God will become more fierce as the more they give their hearts over to the evil that is in this world to say to them not in terms of judgment not in terms to execute but in terms of rescuing of pleading don't go that way the progressive ideology the progressive theology is not leading you to God it's leading you from God because this is what the word says it's got to be a plead that's what that's what we are to do that's why we are here that's our identity we live our lives as Christians to be a model to a lost world of what is hope, what is glory, what is loving. And then with our hearts and our soul, we cry out to this world, come to us to find salvation. That's what Ezra's doing. He's going to the Jews and he's saying, be God's people, not just for your sake. But for the sake of those who don't know me, for the sake of those who are lost, who are going to hell. No more labels. Please, I'm tired of labels. I'm tired I'm reformed. I'm tired of that. I'm tired I'm Calvinist. I'm tired of that. I'm Catholic. I'm Methodist. I'm Baptist. I'm tired of labels. Labels have gotten us into more trouble than anything else. This is the only thing that identifies me. And hopefully you. I'm a Christian. And so to be the Christian that God desires me to be. I read this word. I study the Bible so that I can be the godly husband that my wife needs and deserves. I read and study this Bible so that I can be the godly man that loves my children and raises them up to know Christ and now my grandchildren. I read and study the Bible so that I can serve and minister among you to help you in your walk with Christ, to encourage you, to strengthen you, sometimes to confront you, because what's more important is that you are a Christian. That's my resolve. I was telling somebody the other day, he was asking me about the return of Christ. He says, do you believe that Christ will return before the tribulation period? Or do you believe like Pastor Jim, he's going to come at the end? I said, well, why? I said, you know where I believe. I'm one of those pre guys. That's what I believe. He's like, I hope it's like that, because at least that'll give me seven years to get it right. But if Pastor Jim's right, I don't have any hope. I said, you're right, you don't. But can I tell you something? I said, I did an actuary on my life. 
And I compared and I thought through all of the people who have died in my family when they died. I know that's morbid. But I'm 64 and I've got the right to look ahead and be a little morbid because I get closer every day. And so I figured it out. I got about 21 more years. 85 seems to be the date. Amen. And so I told this gentleman, I said, look, I think here's what I've resolved. I said, I got 21 years to get it right. 21 years. If Christ should come before that, then I'm going to be right. But I got 21 years. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, how many years you've got right, but you've got some years, maybe some along, maybe some not as much, but just resolve today. That you are going to be a Christian. Amen? Amen. Amen.